Hello and welcome to Power Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network where we reflect on Wabo's most scholastic work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And wait, Elliot, before we get into the episode, a reminder, fan art contest is going on right now. The theme is yep. The Power of the Holidays, so get in your entries by the 4th of January. Exactly. Now let's get on with the show. <laughs> um, we are talking about Gone Ahead 7.2, Gone Ahead 7.3, and the bonus material, which was a uh, Borrowed Eyes comic this uh, week. Mm -hmm. Let's dive into 7.2 with Lucy. Uh, they're back on campus. Lucy and the gang are stalking around looking for a weakness or a way in that they can exploit. And um, I guess just on a note of... You know, we we did our reflecting episode on Arc 6 and our guest Sesh, great episode, check it out. Our guest Sesh was talking about how she noticed that Avery is a vegetarian, just like a deer. And immediately we see Lucy pulling out night vision, which is something that foxes are notoriously good at, right? So um, I just thought this was a funny uh, parallel between Lucy and a fox. Yeah, although what's interesting about it is, like, Lucy has modified her mask to make it a thing. Like, she, mm. she had those night vision runes back in arc one i think yeah um but it's something she's kind of having to force like she it's in the mask she only gets it with the mask whereas like you know verona's sight is like free dark vision yeah it's an interesting note isn't it i wonder i wonder what it means potentially lucy is keeping her practice a bit more at arm's length is the interpretation mm. i guess um so it's not as natively leaning into it you know yeah yeah a bit like how you know, like I, I read a lot into the symbolism of her only having one earring, mm. like being very much the same. Because if it was like both ears, she's sort of all into the practice. Whereas, yeah. like with the one ear earring, it's like oh, you know she's got one ear on on this other stuff. She's gonna keep her eye, keep her ear out, but yeah, know, it's not she, everything. She's got a foot in both worlds very explicitly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, I like that interpretation. Mm. Um, I really like though the glowing eyes, like. She talks about how she made them glow red to give them the night vision, and that's mm. just fucking, well, it's just badass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a good way of her representing, you know, that she's got a bit of bite. Yeah, well, exactly. Like, red is, you know, I, I dare I say they've got a carmine glow to them. Mm -hmm. these, uh, Interesting. These eyes. Um, I don't know, and like, because again, you know, she's, she's a fox. Foxes are canines, or they close and the carmine beast was canine ish so she's channeling her inner carmine beast i suppose mm. yeah um yeah channeling the carmine beast vibe <laughs> um so immediately at the start of this chapter lucy mentions how there are students patrolling around the bhi and she she kind of hits the word patrol very intentionally and i just this just kind of stood out to me of like it's really, they decided to do a rebellion and it's really immediately gone into we're at a war here, right? Like <laughs> they, they're basically, a, a, they feel like they're a hit squad creeping around the school, which is crazy to me. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it, and there's like students patrolling around for like insurgents. Like it's really turned <laughs> into a guerrilla warfare vibe very quickly. Uh, interestingly as well, Bristow has a bunch of augers on his team. So I was kind of a little bit like, why are you guys sneaking around? They probably are going to just get you. <laughs> well, I suppose that's where the, uh, the nettle wisp comes in. Yes, um, true. But yeah, no, I agree. Like it, this chapter makes it so apparent how quickly this place has gone from zero to police state mm. um 
yeah and, and you're right like i was like this is only the start of the second chapter and we're already in fucking like the stealth level of a video game doing guerrilla like warfare tactics like it's yeah i I think this introduction to this chapter really sort of sets the tone of like yeah this place is has gone to the shit now like there's students out fucking patrolling at night um and uh, outside of hogwarts i think that's usually seen as something that's like a place is bad yeah yeah um actually here's something else i want to touch on the the vibe when the trios are suiting up um I find really fun. <laughs> like <laughs> we've been talking about how the masks are a bit dweeby, but they, the, when they put on their masks, it, it has this vibe of like, they're pulling on balaclavas for some mischief. It's really fun. Yeah. Well, they, um, they glamour paint, paint them black for this as well, which I think adds to that effect. Like they're, they're sort of, yeah, pulling, pulling on the masks to like, yeah, as you said, it's like putting on balaclavas. They're entering like stealth mode. It's not like, you know, three, girls putting on their witch's hat and their colourful animal masks to go into battle, which I still, I love, but it's such a dorky image. This mm. is, like, serious mode. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> They're going serious vibes, painting their masks black. It is still a bit dorky, but I, I think it's, yeah, I just think it's fun. Yeah, I yeah, completely agree. Um, also, there's a little moment where Lucy takes note of the fact that as they're painting their masks and, and using, like, glamour, uh, Toadslow and Gashwad don't comment on it, mm. um, which just jumped out to me, because even later in this chapter and in the next one, you know, the goblins are always sort of like, oh, don't use fairy bullshit, it's fake bullshit. Mm. Um, but I, it's like, here, I think, I, I read this as, like, even the goblins are like, this shit's serious enough that they're even... Yeah. Gonna, like let that slide putting that stuff aside temporarily yeah exactly yeah um oh here's a okay it's this the start of this chapter is so jam-packed full of stuff god <laughs> um another thing that happens at the very start of this chapter that i thought was very interesting was uh lucy's thinking about lucy's looking at verona and seeing how in her element she is with tasha and stuff and yeah is thinking about how, like, how can she stop Lu- uh, Verona from just being fully into this world and losing her human side? And then Lucy immediately transitions to asking Avery if she thinks that Verona and Jeremy are going to end up together. Like, it's such an immediate jarring um, transition that I'm like, well, what's going on? And it sounds like Lucy is trying to kind of think about whether she can, I guess, bait Verona back to humanity with romance with Jeremy, <laughs> right? Like, that's that's the vibe. Like, hmm, what's the one thing that might pull Verona back to being a human? Oh, you know, dating Jeremy. What, what, how can I see if that can happen? Yeah, no, I, like, that was definitely my read. Is Because, yeah, you're right. She goes from thinking, how do I stop Verona, like, slipping into this world mm. um, when it, it's sort of so enticing for Verona? Um, and then like, yeah, I think there's this thought that we're missing, which is her thinking, well, what are the things that tie Verona to the mundane world? Like, what is Verona like in the mundane world? And the only thing that's sort of on that list is Jeremy question mark. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird, it's weird, isn't it? It's a weird vibe that that's the thing that she goes for. It, it does feel a little bit insidious, I would say. I mean... It depends on what you think her motivations for bringing it up are. Like, I like you know, when you read it as just like, what are the things Verona cares about in the mundane world that I could, you know, help her to see the importance of? 
Or is it mm. like, oh, I need to set them up so that she can't fall in? Like, mm. depends on exactly how she's sort of thinking about it. I, I chose to read it as the, the more wholesome, just like, oh, you know, should I nudge her in, in this direction so she doesn't forget what humanity has to offer? Yeah, true. I, I guess it can be read in multiple ways. The fact that we're in, the, in Lucy's head means that she's not like wrapping it in the justifications that she would do if it was something she was actively going to take. It's just kind of a idle thought more than anything too insidious, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I also, I love this bit where, like, like, you know, she obviously starts this thought with sort of thinking about how Verona seems actually happier and more chill in this war between practitioners than she does at home. Like, I think Lucy mm. and Avery are having a bit of a meltdown. And like, Verona, like, Lucy notes, Verona is happier here than she has been, like, ever. Mm. Um, yeah. And I mean, like, I, I think we talked about this the start of Arc 3 as well. It was like when avery went missing and was like stuck in the paths and lucy sort of commented on how calm verona was and i think we sort of talked about that we were like well yeah this is when you want someone like verona in your corner like when the shit hits the fan and someone can sort of still have their wits about them Mm. um and i guess that's just verona here like for verona this magic stuff is cool and the war is like weirdly the war is stressful enough that she probably doesn't have to think about her dad which is like a net positive for for verona it's like you know she'd rather be stressing about this war than her dad um so it's like made her happier and like that's that's like kind of scary good in the alexander way of like she's going to be uh very efficient still Mm. yeah yeah (laughs) it's good i mean yeah it's good that verona's able to operate in her you know, in this, in her element in this way, it's, I I guess we're not as worried. I'm definitely not as worried about Verona as I used to be, but I don't know. It's still just a little bit of like, is she too at ease with all this stuff? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, is it a bad thing if she is? I, Mm. I, I think that's an argument you could make. Like if, you know, the world probably needs people who, aren't trying to cause these situations but can handle them when they come up mm. like the the not trying to cause something is how i'm separating alexander out of this because he doesn't do enough to stop it yeah well <laughs> yeah i guess um yeah there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of stuff in this like we're <laughs> we're like 10 paragraphs in and um there's a lot of stuff that we've had to stop to talk about which is good uh, this is, yeah. I mean, this is why Lucy's my favorite because there's always so much stuff going on when Lucy's your point of view. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, oh, wait till we get to talking about her earring in this chapter and the next chapter as well. It's so cool seeing it in action. Mm. Um, so, speaking of earring being used to overhear things, we overhear something very interesting in this conversation, which is that Toad has a girlfriend, which is great. <laughs> um, I mean, she's off. Uh, being a familiar to somebody right now and i'm desperately thinking do we have any goblin female goblin familiars that this could be <laughs> but um yeah man that was that was fun that was very fun uh yeah you know i mean look i've done a long distance relationship it's hard to swallow i get it mm. um but yeah this is fun to think about just like the concept of goblin relationships is kind of inherently frightening isn't it um i guess Look, there's an entire series of works 
dedicated to that idea, and it's called shit. What is it called? It's it's not called Pram, is it? That was our stupid joke for oh poke. No, are you talking right. about poke? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I rest my case. Go read poke <laughs> if you want more about what it looks like when Wabo writes. What does a go- goblin romance look like? It's awesome. But yeah, I'm well, although also be cautious. Poke does have packed spoilers in it. In some spots, yes, it does. That's a good point. So careful for that. But just, but just definitely. read pack first, like well, I, from song. The spoilers aren't. Don't hold me to this because I'm thinking of this off the top of my head. But the spoilers aren't hugely major, if I recall. Um, but there are some in there for sure. Yeah, yeah. I suppose it depends how serious you are about spoilers. But there's yeah. some stuff in there about like the ending of pack. Yeah. Um, Cool. Anyway, anyway um, it's fun. I, I just want more goblin romance, basically. So <laughs> the fact that we get a hint at it in this chapter is awesome. Yeah, you know, technically, Toadsmoy doesn't say that it's a goblin. He's interested. He just says she's a familiar. True. True. I assumed it's a goblin, but what if it's a uh, a fairy and it's a real Romeo and Juliet type of deal? That would be. Fun. Or what if it's a practitioner who got a familiar? Wait, a goblin. <laughs> What? Does that work? I don't know. Hmm. Okay. Do we know? Wait, does, is the way it's phrased, does it have to be the other? Right. I didn't even think of that shit. Now I've got to pull it up now, Elliot, because that's <laughs> such a good theory. <laughs> All right. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I'm going to search, search familiar. No, it says she's a familiar right now. So it is. I mean, there are relationships where the practitioner can kind of be the familiar. So it's not fully out, but I think it probably deconfirms it yeah i mean look it's not ideal phrasing but i like you could you know this is a this is a world where you wriggle around technicalities like that and i'm saying like i don't do we know that you can't call the practitioner the familiar like Mm. you know what do you call the practitioner in a practitioner familiar relationship like i mean i think the word is master but that's a very practitioner focused word so (laughs) yeah exactly yeah. Anyway, sorry, this is just a stupid joke. I mean, we've been on this for too long. But I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, let's let's uh, let's keep going, shall we? Um, yeah. Oh, actually, sorry. No, changed my mind. One last thing about Toadstool before we move on. Um, is it just me or is he getting more like openly crude around the Kennedys? Like he just sort of starts making bestiality jokes here, mm. um, and they're funny. But he had his whole thing right both specifically about the Kennetiers and about kids in general, where he has to be, like, sanitized around them. Mm. And I'm wondering if, like, is this, this weird sign of respect if Toadslow starts to be more crude because it's, like, him, like acknowledging that they're growing up? Am mm. I reading too much into this? But No, I can see it. I can see it. I mean, yeah, I guess it's hard to know for sure. Because Toad Swallow's thing isn't like a magical rule. It's just something that he's agreed to and imposes on himself, right? So we've seen him not swear. And so it's not, I don't know. It's like, yeah, I wonder. I don't know. Yeah, I, I choose to read that. Let's headcanon it, it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's weirdly wholesome that Toad Swallow will start making bestiality jokes because he respects them uh, and thinks that they're growing up. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Good headcanon. Um. So the group, the this hit squad comes across a the 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 dueling field, right? And on the dueling field, there is a structure that Bristow is starting to set up, and they decide to mess with it. Basically, just cause a ruckus. Um, <laughs> it's guerrilla warfare, basically. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I, I really like the vibe the team has here, and also a bit in the next chapter, like, um, the way everyone's just communicating and catching up, like, they're sort of, you know, hatching their Ocean's Eleven heist on the fly, um, which is an, an idea, uh, but, you know, mm. it's just cool seeing everyone coordinate, like, especially, like, other and practitioner, like, yeah like genuinely side by side and and on the same playing field it's it's really cool to see yeah we've seen a lot of the for example the others giving like tricks and tools to the kenneteers in order to help them operate and we see a bit of it going the other way here which is really nice it's just like they're just a cool team yeah like avery lends toad swallow the rope um whereas like on the other side uh, the the people they're fighting it's just a group of humans they don't even summon anything i don't think mm. they use tools and yelling real loud as yeah. their weapons yep um yeah it's interesting uh oh, in this group is kevin the evil eye kevin and his girlfriend who again keeps getting mentioned and is like we still don't know what she can do every time it comes mm. up everyone's like we don't know whatever but it's so obviously something's going on with her and i'm so curious to find out what it is yeah, well, there was that, like, whole big conversation the Kenneteers had with Yadira and Raquel where they tried to kind of yeah. logic it out, and they got yeah. maybe close. We don't know. Um, yeah, this feels like a bit of a Chekhov's gun, like, whenever she's going to finally activate. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, what's the partner for Strife? You know, if Kevin emanates Strife, what pairs with that, literally? Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I also don't know the answer to that oh, one. All I know for sure is that her and Kevin are talking about having kids, and I don't like that idea. I'm very yeah. sure about that. Their relationship is very seemingly Odd. affectionate, <laughs> <laughs> which I didn't expect from Kevin, who is seemingly the most evil in in universe character we've had so far. Right? Yeah, I I don't know. I got kind of controlling ish vibes from him, but True. maybe. I'd have to go and reread it, honestly. I could have just been yeah. injecting my hatred for Kevin into that. I don't know. Mm. No, I think it's probably fair to... I mean, I don't think anyone's going to, you know, volunteer to defend Kevin. He's quite clearly <laughs> a piece of shit. Probably <laughs> the biggest piece of shit in the story, right? He's got to be up there. just cause, yeah. Especially because he's just someone who, like, got this magical power just from hating everyone so much. I know, right? <laughs> Yikes. Um, but actually, now that I think about it, all the biggest pieces of shit in the story are Bristow's team, right? Yep. Like Sharon, Shelley, Kevin. Bristow. So, I mean, yes, <laughs> Bristow as well, although, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and uh, what, uh, Mr. Figueroa, the guy who gets rewarded by karma for being a jackass. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the guy who gets rewarded by karma when he takes up two parking stop spots. <laughs> Oh man, this story has so many wild things in it. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and so speaking of, um, we like we get this little moment where uh, Gash sort of gets told to go fuck up the field and like stop it from working, and and Toad Swallow's like, you know, are you going to go do this? This is your moment to shine. And Gashwad's like real upset because he thought he was here to fight. And um, I, like this jumped out to me because one of the things I remember about Gashwad like, way back from Arc 2, when Verona was interviewing them, I think, um, is that, like, Gashwa was, like, really against his label of not being, like, a fighter. I think the label he was being given at the time as a goblin was, like, a scrapper. Mm. He was, like, 
uh, he was like he wanted to be a scrapper and they're like no you're a something other that um mm. you know is better at tricks and he's like no i just want to be a fighter and they're like mm. oh he's so wasted and it was like i don't know with all the oni talk from last chapter like that feels significant that gashwad the one who hates the the labels and the jobs he's being given is the one who has come into the fore mm. Mm. i think yeah it's it's interesting. I mean, obviously, we're talking about the idea of the Kenneth others and the the idea that they all defy labels to an extent, right? Yeah, or they want. I, I like. I can't remember where I saw this phrasing, but there was someone who was like, they they're placing more emphasis on their own individuality than their labels. Yeah, so, yeah, that's a good way to phrase it for sure. Uh, it's interesting though, the label of whatever he was that that's not a scrapper, like. Who is ascribing that label to him other than Toad Swallow and, and the other people in Kenneth, right? <laughs> if yeah. they're, they're people that the, are going to try and break these labels, they also have to stop being the ones that are reinforcing <laughs> them. Although, to be fair, that was, I, I think the context of that was like Blunt Munch, like telling her about these Goblin labels, which we right. later learned were intentionally bullshit. Yeah, um, true. So it's a little bit fair. But I guess, yeah, like, I. I at a high level, it's sort of like Gashwood seems to be getting pushed in one direction by the universe, and he's trying to move in another one. Mm. And like jumping ahead in a bit, I always sort of had Gashwood written off as like the goblin I thought the least about. Like he was like the fourth, the extra one. Yeah, because Cherry Pop was imprinted in our minds. Total Cherry Pop was number one, of course. Yeah, and then Blunt Munch was like in the background a bit, but he was like you know he was defined by being the big one. The one who could boss other goblins around, and then I was Gashford was just like, yeah, he fights sometimes, I guess. Mm. Um, so it's cool seeing him actually, like, yeah, I guess as the original Kenneth other that I felt like I cared about the least or knew the least about. He's actually sort of getting some space here, and he wins me over in this chapter. Mm. Yeah, he does pretty well. He's <laughs> he does all kinds of things in this chapter. It's it's great. Yeah, we'll get to them in a bit, I guess. Yeah. Oh, and uh, actually, and we learned from Totolo that America and Liberty, they don't come from like a family that specifically specializes in goblins. Their yes. father apparently does some stuff around that, and he, he hired Totolo to teach them. And uh, being the overachieving businessman that he is, Totolo completely converted them to being goblin princesses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's pretty great. I think it makes the names even funnier as well. Like I, I had kind of written uh like America and Liberty as as names to goblin princesses offers like a bit of a like, you know, attack on rednecks. Mm. Um but it, it's kind of funny. Like you could imagine if their dad like did all this other stuff including that, like maybe he's some sort of like city mage yes. or whatever and, and yes. like, you know, building some sort of big society based on and like like pulling from the imagery of yeah, US and, like a patriotism and, wizard in some way, yeah. right? <laughs> and uh, like goblins were meant to be like a small part of that, and they've just been completely corrupted. Well, yeah, because uh, not to get too political, but it's kind of what patriotism is, huh? <laughs> I mean, of I'm course not, they I'm didn't. Not disagreeing. Nobody <laughs> is called America and sets out to become a goblin practitioner, but invariably <laughs> that's where it ends up, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, mm. I love that. Um, um, yeah, I think it's great. Also, uh, we'll obviously get into how visually great this series is uh, when we get to the extra material, but I love how Lucy, her sight, like, interprets Kevin's evil eye as, like, he 
he throws like this shade beam on everything uh and and musa is here and it like just drips off him so he's got some sort of protection like it's just it's so cool how we can visualize something like this like that mm. yeah it's um <laughs> yeah it is cool and it's i think it's funny that the <laughs> as soon as lucy kind of clicks that it's massa she starts noticing these mannerisms that are all just really smarmy and shitty <laughs> yeah he's someone I, I i hope we get to dive into as an antagonist for a bit because he's kind of fascinating like one of the biggest strengths of the Kenneteers and the Kennet others, I think, is their versatility. Mm. Um, and and if Moose is someone who's gone around the world collecting familiars and implements, he might be someone who can kind of match that. Mm. Or or maybe not. Is there a theme to his implements and familiars? Like you know, are all his familiars, I don't know, Fairy others with red yeah. noses. You know, like, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. yeah, interesting. No, I I do think that it would most likely be more along the lines of versatility. Like, I have an implement that lets me deal with augers, I have an implement that lets me deal with chronomancers, I have an implement that lets me deal with technomancers, right? Yeah, although, I don't know, I feel like there'd have to be some theme to connect them, but it's like, you know, if you could, if you sort of identify that theme, then you can branch off of it to do what you're talking about, right? Like, so, like, if the theme was all of my implements have to be, uh, like, you know, I don't know, handheld objects or something, that's a very broad thing, but you can, in fact, I think that just might be a requirement for implements in general. I don't know. You know what mm. I mean? Mm. Yeah, true. Um, oh, oh my god. So there's a part, oh my god, there's a part coming up where for a moment we think that Toadswell has been murdered and it only lasts a little while. It only lasts a paragraph or whatever, but oh my god, it really got me. <laughs> this is the most upset I've ever been. Yeah. I, I, I refused to believe it just on the basis that I feel like Toad Slow has to be going somewhere and Wobbo couldn't possibly be cruel enough to cut that off. Um, but I'll admit that way there there was like that that second where I believed it and I was devastated. I was like, You can't take Toad Slow away from us. He's too he's not pure. He's not mm. beautiful. He's I don't I don't know the word for how I feel about to- Toad Slow. Or I, goblins iconic? in general. <laughs> I guess just I I think iconic. He's too iconic to be taken away. No, but you know, like okay, so we're about to re-meet the goblin whose brain sits in a condom that's going in and out of his head. Oh yeah, and like he's beautiful, and I love him, and I don't know what the word is for like that aesthetic of like it's like hatefully oh. cute, you know? Um, like D is it? Are you talking about like Deantwood style? What's that? You know Deantwood. Come on, you must know Deantwood. They're most famously known from being in Chappie, <laughs> the, the Neil Blomkamp film. They're like a South African um, oh, musical yeah, yeah. group, okay, yeah. and they practice a counterculture movement called Zef, which is like this um, like trashy aesthetic, I guess you would call it. I, I'm not an expert in it, but it's very like counterculture vibes. And maybe that's what goblins are. They're... they're uh, examples of zef aesthetics i i think that's true for some of them but i'm talking about like do you remember in 5.d we had the little one-eyed beak goblin and now we've got this little one with the condom brain like it's Mm. it's like it's like corrupted disney imagery it's like yeah disney imagery right inverse yeah i just don't know if there's like a term for that yeah Uh, trashy cute yeah i don't know (laughs) um Anyway, so yeah. Toad oh, wait, Swallow. So just, just, 
just before we move on from um the the condom <laughs> brain goblin, yep. I want to point out Lucy calls it a clear balloon, in Wait. This chat, which I just thought was hilarious. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, Lucy. Lucy, wait, you sweet summer child. Like, even Avery knows what's going on here. Like, <laughs> clear balloon. Oh, Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> ah, good times. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Totolo is causing a ruckus and is causing enough of a ruckus that Bristow's group thinks it's America out there with with uh, throwing goblins at them. So, we get confirmed America is still out there. She's not like in some kind mm. of Bristow POW camp type of thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's there's a, a ruckus and some back and forth. Totolo gets away, but in the fray, Gashwad is nabbed. Yeah, because basically it sounds like Gash and Totolo... Uh, I mean, I, lo- like, I love how they both use, like, trinkets or tricks. Like, yeah. Totolo especially. Like, he's got that, that one thing that shoots out, like, brown and white splooge that I don't <laughs> like to think too much about. Yeah. Um, but like Gashwad is also like he he's such a tricky little fuck. Like he's getting in there and he's putting in bad nails and stuff. Like uh goblins would just be the fucking worst to fight I against. <laughs> just let them do what they want. You can't uh, you can't deal with them. Just leave it. <laughs> um yeah. I, as an as a, as an aside though, uh with all the goblin stuff going on, um Lucy has to keep talking John down from sacrificing himself. Yeah. Which is like I I can't handle if John dies like I'm out. I'll, I'll have to quit the story for a few weeks to recover. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I was like, wait, it's, it's just so heartbreaking how willing he is to put himself on the line for the Canadiers. It like to the extent that he goes to it so quickly. I think it's there must be something else going on. Like it must be like him doing a heroic soldier's death actually has him come back but with more power or something like i can't imagine that he's so keen to sacrifice himself in situations like this where it doesn't seem super necessary i mean i that's an optimistic read that he would come back more powerful like um i definitely first of all i'm willing to believe it just because i think that fits into the whole like cliche soldier stereotype that yeah he's sort of molded from like the yeah. fact that he would you know like he walked around with Yolda, right? Like, I, there's, I, I don't think there's any doubt that, like, he's connected to the Kennedys a little bit through yes. that Yolda connection, and it's sort yeah. of like him being willing to, uh, willing to sacrifice himself for them just makes sense. But like, also, and, and I'm, I guess I'm jumping ahead a little bit in the in the notes here, but like, what I was connecting it to is like, he doesn't want the job as the next Carmine, mm. and everyone keeps telling us he's probably gonna die if mm. he gets picked. Because then that's when everyone else will come for him. So you kind of but think John might just view it as like he knows in a couple of months the the big three are going to be like you're our fourth, and then everyone's going to try and kill him, and they're probably going to succeed. Like he may think he's close to death anyway. He'd rather die protecting these girls. Like mm. I don't know. Um, I mean, a better solution is if he was Lucy's familiar. Uh, yeah. I don't think he can do the Carmine role. Yep. Uh, and and then also he's Lucy's familiar, which I see as a win because I think these two have like a really nice connection. Yeah, um, me too. When Lucy is like, <laughs> he's reaching out, being like, "Oh, what if I just do a little sacrifice of myself?" And Lucy's just <laughs> slapping his hand away, like, "No, ba- bad John." <laughs> it's good times. Um, yeah, I guess we'll see. Um, 
So, okay, <laughs> there's this bit where since Gashford is kind of nabbed, they're, they're interrogating him, like, who sent you, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and he's not giving them anything. He's doing great. Uh, but then there's a bit where they're like, what's your weak? What do they say? What's your weakness? Is that right? Um, no, no, I think they're sort of like, why are you here? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> They say, why are you here? And Gashford's response is, to fight. I live to fight. I have a deep-seated, horrible insecurities about being too weak. <laughs> just like, Gashford, you're awesome. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so yeah. funny. I, like, honestly, like, it's, 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 this was, like, one of the moments where I was just like, oh, Gashford isn't just the fourth goblin who does fighting for me anymore. Like, he actually has a personality because he's, like, admitted to this, this you know, thing he has of not wanting to do the job that he does like he yeah he wants to get in fights because he's a little dweeb um, <laughs> I love the, it. what they say what i think it's Musa. what Musa says is tell us what you want to keep secret why did you come here and then that's oh, yeah. Gatchel's response like that's his deep dark <laughs> secret is that he's insecure about being too weak it's, <laughs> it's so good oh um, uh, yeah. yeah so yeah uh Gashwa detonates a bomb. Sorry, I'd written in the notes that John detonates it, but on rereading, it's actually Gashwa has set up a bomb that he then detonates to escape. Um, and so Gashwa and Toad just kind of get a, get a few more final blows in attacking these practitioners and then just scamper off. Um, and so the group retreats successfully, uh, heading back to their base before they attempt unsuccessfully to wash up off the nettle wisp that Lucy has on her hand. Yeah, I mean, like honestly, this little heist thing um, went pretty well. Like they actually managed to get out unharmed when there were a bunch of practitioners there. Like I don't really know what they thought was going to happen, but yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. Yeah, I'm not super sure what the plan was, but I'm glad they just kind of are doing things, making making problems. You know, well, it sounds like the plan was to get Gash and Toad Slow to where they could like fuck with this building's foundation so they can get in like it's sort oh of like, yes you know, that's right and and it, so then it, that it, has happened and now uh they have like a set of nails that will allow them to break into the bhi fairly easily if they need to yeah or that building at least the mm. the, the, the bristow building but it's sort of like yeah it you know as one of them says like it all that work for just a little like groundwork um mm. to set up and, and it's just like it was you know it almost went very far south like it's just sort of like they're they're really going a mile to get an inch uh yeah here. uh yeah yeah but you know I, the thing that is demonstrably true uh and we find out even more so is true in the bonus material this week is being prepared and setting seeds for things later really <laughs> pays off to a large extent right um, yeah yeah let's uh let's get to that Preparation is the OP superpower in this universe. So yeah, um, so the, the nettle wisp stuff. I I kind of wish that Lucy had this nettle wisp on her hand for even longer because it's the fact that she can't wash it off is like oh shit this is like this is going to go in a really interesting direction, and then it gets triggered and like it's fine. It's a very interesting way of it getting triggered and it has a lot of interesting impacts. But I kind of wish. It, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of that bit in Adventure Time where Finn had a, a leaf growing out of his hand. You know, yeah, he had the, yeah. the weird grass hand. And it was this oh, yeah. weird plot thread that lasted for ages and really paid off in a really strange and bizarre way. And I I just kind of want Lucy to have a nettle wisp sword hand, I guess. 
yeah, I made that same mental leap to to the adventure time arc because that went for like a season. Yeah, um, at least. Yeah, I, I, but I mean, obviously, the other thing we got to talk about is though, like the Nettle Wisp isn't gone after it goes off because it's having effects on Lucy's hand, like it's discoloring it. She's yeah, kind of weird about it. Like this feels like. I mean, we've been waiting. I don't think we ever got the traps Marissa laid out in her three gifts. Um. She gave yes. them nine gifts, and she said there were three traps hidden within them. Mm. And I think we've maybe got one with mm. that time uh, Lucy kissed. Uh, sorry, Avery kissed Pam. Yes. Is this is this the maybe second one? Maybe even the first one? Like, and what is the trap? Like, why is this happening? Yeah. What does Marissa get out of this as well? Why would she want this to, to be the case? Yeah, I don't know. Um. Maybe it's a trap. Maybe the trap is educational about like being careful what they rely on and stuff like that. I I don't know. Yeah, well, because they look at their other nettle wisp uh, at the end of next chapter, I think it is, and it's like been growing. And so there's like, yeah, I, like if you leave nettle wisps sitting, they they grow or infect you or something. And like, is that is that the lesson? Like, you know, that's the risk in setting up these things uh like promises like that is that it, you know the power sort of grows and starts to hurt you if you don't use it mm. yeah maybe 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 that's it as an aside with like like setting up stuff like that um i love how lucy's starting to build a narrative around like all this stuff with bristow mm. right uh like like with the spirits uh yes. like she, oh just she like doesn't... bagging him out audibly to the spirits yeah, she does it in this chapter and the next chapter, but it's like, you know, she's... I just think it's, like, a really cool part of this world that, like, something Lucy's getting benefit from is just, like, as they're making their plans, specifically sort of saying to the spirits, hey, just a reminder, we're doing this because Bristow's a twat. And, <laughs> it's you, know. So, you know what it's like? It's like, they're, they're going, oh, okay, we're going to go get Bristow, and then Lucy goes, wait, 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 we're going to go get Bristow... The piece of shit and says yeah. it just loudly so the spirits can hear. <laughs> okay, let's continue. Like it's ridiculous, but it is. Um, I wonder if we'll see it actively pay off, or if it will, we won't get it as concrete confirmation that it's actually helped. But I love it. I think it's hilarious. Yeah, it's just such a fun story concept because it gives like Lucy a reason to sort of monologue about what they're doing and why it's justified, uh, and and have it like in universe make sense. Mm. yeah yeah it's great um so yeah uh, the, the, they don't manage to wash up the nettle wisp so the group go to sleep only be awakened by a bang the nettle wisp has gone off somebody was spying on them <laughs> what a way to wake up like yes there's a loud bang and everyone in the room is like what fuck yeah um man it's grim though so basically nicolette triggered it because it seems like she is being forced to basically run into their defenses over and over as a, as a, you know, like a canary, basically a, a, a coal mine canary, essentially. Um, so they say that Nicolette is, has agreed to this, but obviously mm. there's probably some arm twisting going on here somewhere. Um, oh, I'm sure know. she agreed to it in the sense she signed up with this auger cupboard they hired her out to Bristow, and she has to do what he says as part of that contract. Yeah, something, um, yeah, God. I mean, it's just shit. It's so clearly, like, it It feels analogous to, um, like, 
taking a, a prisoner of war and using them to like search for for landmines, right? Like that's the level that it feels like we're at here, which is clearly violations of of uh, you know it's a war crime essentially. I I, I wouldn't have made that comparison to me to like because Nikolai chose this to mm. uh, some degree, and it's all it's almost like. Wait, they basically straight up admit that the reason they're using Nicolette is because she likes them and they like her. So it's almost like, it's just that Bristow thing they keep doing where they're like, they're drawing this line and trying to move everyone really far either side of it. Um, like you, you know, if Nicolette has connections to the other, to the enemy, they're doing everything they can to push her further into their camp by set, like severing those ties. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that feels like a war crime to me. <laughs> Like, I mean, yes. it's shitty at, at the very least. It's just like, mm. it's just such a shitty tactic of like, oh, you have friends over there. Let's use this as a tactic to like mm. hurt everyone. Yeah, it's it's shit regardless. Um, yeah, it's rough. Um, yeah, especially like, I can't, yeah, I can't. Uh, yeah, I'll, actually, let's talk about Nicolette more uh, at the end of next chapter, I suppose, uh, where she shows up. But um, also, Tashlit uh heals lucy here after she's like suffering a bit from the nettle wisp um which i mean yeah like i don't we kept getting told i think that tash was like weak and didn't really have any powers but she's got like a lot of little ones you know mm. like she's she's quite versatile mm. yeah she seems to have a lot of tricks up her sleeve and we've we've heard that tash is kind of similar to uh, a character that you know she has a the analogy is she has a bucket of power and it slowly, slowly drips up. And so when mm. it's got enough in there, she can do some cool stuff. But I wonder how much proportionally she has spent just in the past, you know, two days or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And and what sort of stuff she can do with it? Because the thing, the thing with power in this universe is it's never just like, you know, you have a bucket of charge that you can use for any kind of magic. It's like, you know, mm. you have like marissica glamour versus gillamay glamour like there's there's different types of power for different things um and she seems to have like quite an array of powers she can heal people she can shoot acid water that's boiling or whatever the fuck i don't quite understand like yeah uh, like mm. i wonder what god she is uh born of mm. i don't know if we've had that actually like confirmed or if there's any strong guesses from the community mm. yeah yeah, I don't think. I mean, the 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 one theme that we've seen is there seems to be something to do with like uh, Hebrew linguistics in her name, right? So mm. presumably that's a clue, but I I, I can't dive in any more <laughs> yeah. than that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, I'm the same. Uh, no idea. Um, so yeah, uh, they they go back to sleep after this, I guess, and then wake up properly uh in the morning and lucy makes a call to her therapist yeah so i guess quickly before we go to the therapist call because we're going to spend a while there i imagine um Mm. lucy hits a bit of a stumbling block at first because she's really struggling to draw the simple diagram she wants to draw because uh her, her like symbols keep getting altered to sort of fit the earring and like i saw this and i was just like you know one day i'm gonna learn the fucking lesson that these books keep teaching me, which is that the metaphor is never just a metaphor in these stories. Like we literally had a whole book tell us about how the implement is something that like alters your diagram, especially if it's jewelry. And then Lucy gets an implement and now it's like 
affecting her diagrams. Like I was t- like, mm. it's so obvious in retrospect, but I just didn't <laughs> see this coming at all. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I guess we didn't expect um it to to have such a drawback, but I love that it does. I love that we I, and presumably the diagram troubles we've been seeing are setting up some bigger reflection of this drawback that we will see. I expect. Um, well, yeah. I wouldn't call it a drawback as much as a, sure. a specialization. Yeah. yeah, sure. Um, like I think like once, you know, because there's this funny moment where like Verona kind of gets it more than Lucy and has to like help yes. Lucy figure herself out, which is, you know, that's what friends are for. Mm. Um and yeah, like I wouldn't be surprised if it was more powerful because if, if Lucy if it's the earring that's affecting this stuff. I think it was probably moving her more towards stuff to do with sound blocking or eavesdropping. So it's kind of like, like she was probably able to build a more powerful diagram to block people listening in um, because of the earring. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Maybe drawback was the wrong word, but yeah, I just think it's interesting. I think we're setting up that this exists and I think we will see it in a more magnified role at some point in the future. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, also just, just, uh, while I was quickly talking about how like Verona gets it more than Lucy, there's also like this one little moment where Verona suggests, oh, you could do a star or a sun here and Lucy Mm. picks the sun and I, yeah, I guess something we should talk about more. So obviously we had this mission, uh, that we covered from like most of the episodes so far and that was Lucy and Avery who were out there because, Verona's on the immaterial team. Like she's off with Tashlet and Alpi uh later on, and we kind of skipped over that they they went and do that. Um and it's like there's more and more of this divide coming up between Verona and the other two. Like Lucy and Avery are consistently siding on on the team of like light, or you know, they went with Guillaume versus Marisica, who mm. Verona seems to lean a bit more into Marisica and she's like this dark immaterial stuff. Like I'm interested to see where this goes like verona is sort of starting to walk a bit of a different path to the other two Mm. and it's becoming more and more tangible Mm. yeah what do you think the end result of that will be i'm i'm hoping that it'll just sort of be a statement about how you don't all have to be the same to work together like kind of like what the kenneth others represent like because you could see this idea that oh lucy and avery are are walking down this certain path and verona's going down the other one so they're gonna lose contact and stop being friends mm. um i i i i mean it could be that but i like i'm more interested in the idea that it's like just because that's the case it doesn't mean you have to stop totally being friends like maybe you drift apart a bit but like the fact that they could still be an effective team it I, would actually make them stronger like the fact that they're not all the same hmm yeah true so maybe it's not a point of difference but a point of unity and strength yeah yeah like that you know that that's what the Kenneth others so strong for it's what we said the Kenneteers are as well the fact that they like fill in each other's weaknesses and stuff like the fact that Verona's going down this different path might be something they worry about and then actually it turns out to be a a source of strength Mm. yeah we'll have to wait and see I suppose um okay so here's another thing we raised the idea of a triple agent in our (laughs) reflections episode and (laughs) there's a bit where they say you know, Nicolette was forced to spy on us, etc. Glad that it's Nicolette instead of somebody else because, um, it if sorry, it, glad that Nicolette was forced to spy on them because if Nicolette hadn't, the nettle wisp might have continued to grow and, and fucked up Lucy's arm. And Verona's response is maybe Nicolette knew that 
and then says, <laughs> in what I'm now realizing is blatant foreshadowing, it'd be nice <laughs> to have a conversation with her. Um, but yeah, so the idea that Nicolette might be the triple agent is raised here, which is something I think is fun. Yeah. But the thing about triple agents is when you're that many agents in, what if they're quadruple agents? Uh, but Elliot, you've forgotten. If they're a quadruple agent, there's a high chance they could be a quintuple agent. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's going to be more interesting to explore a, a, a Nicolette who's like, like I just keep coming back to this idea I've had since 2.Z where she was sort of like, oh, I'm going to get out of Alexander's thumb and I'm going to join this Olga coven and then everything's going to be perfect. Mm. Um, it's like the first thing this auger coven looks to have done is put her on Bristow's side in this war yeah. so like I, I, I hope 7.4 is just going to be Nicolette being like yeah so I thought this it's was worse. a good idea yeah. it fucking sucks <laughs> it's worse no yeah I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that idea too I think that's hilarious <laughs> so I don't think she's like the triple agent like yet but I, I imagine 7.4 is Nicolette going to come up and be like hey guys can I be a triple agent please mm. Yeah. No, I, I don't think it'll be Triple Agent in, in that explicit of a sense. I think it'll be Nicolette realizing, yes, I'm on Bristow's team, but I actually, yeah, and I have to I act don't on his team, but I, I want to support you guys in, in some ways, right? Like, Yeah, I agree. Um, Which I guess means she's a Triple Agent, but, you know, it's not as like, there, there won't be any briefcases or, or moustache and glasses involved, I think, is the key. No, no. she's not like, She's not doing any Machiavellian planning. She's just yes. flying by the seat of her pants. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so in a continuation of a classic Wabo uh, theme, this therapist is very kind, level-headed, and wonderful. Uh, every <laughs> single time a therapist appears in a Wabo story, they're, they're pretty much unilaterally awesome. So thumbs up to that. I don't, I don't think a Wabo therapist has ever made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think, the way Dr. Monot really wins us over here right at the start is like the first real chunk of advice she gives Lucy is basically exactly what the earring told Lucy at the end of last arc, mm. where she's like, you know, you've got to trust your instincts. Mm. Uh, your read of people's probably better than you give it credit for. And it was yeah. like, hey, that's what the earring said. You're all right. Yeah. Maybe she, oh my God. Maybe uh, she is the earring, Elliot. Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> what a twist. You know, I had I I I could send you the tweet I made at my live read where I was like, everybody get ready for Ruben's Doctor Mona is a practitioner theory. Mm. Um, but you took it a step further, so <laughs> yeah. so well done. Uh, yeah, I did. Um. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I. I mean, yeah, like, obviously, Dr. Moda just gives great advice. She's, like, encouraging Lucy to connect with the Kenneteers. Like, she's offering suggestions for the Verona problem. She suggests that maybe should Lucy should check in on if there's an Avery problem, which, based on next chapter, is very good advice. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, doc, Dr. Mona for head of the BHI, frankly. Mm. Yeah. We, yeah, I like it. Head of BHI, Dr. Mona. If there's anything everyone in this place needs, it's a fucking therapist. But, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, um, oh, and also, uh, the, the um, um, also, sorry, the, the therapist brings up, uh, well, one of the quotes that Dr. Mona says, is she says, uh, about that, I wanted to touch on something from a conversation yesterday evening. And and then they sort of get interrupted, but like Lucy responds very negatively to this. She like gets a huge feeling in her gut, and then 
like they 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 don't have to worry about this but um what what was this about this feels like a, a hanging thread that will very much come back to bite us in the ass yeah uh, what is the conversation <laughs> i have no I, idea i think lucy might have talked to dr mona on the phone last night but mm. i would have thought that would be the conversation from yesterday evening not yes. a conversation so who else is Dr. Mona talking to that she would like, like is Dr. Mona also seeing Lucy's mom and there's like some, you know, presumably consensual, like, you know, trading of information via Dr. Mona or like, yes, that would be my, I think that's a good thought or, or a conversation she had with somebody else that she's like, that that's an idea that she wants to raise. Maybe, Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I just this is definitely something to put in the in the old like mind memory bank. Oh, or, like, yeah. It's going to come up later. Maybe Doctor Mona is talking to Miss, and there's something <laughs> from their conversation. Um, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's probably it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Anyway, they they get interrupted. The conversation gets interrupted um, because the parents have been called and some people have been grounded. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, again, this is like a bit like my response to uh, the the mission going sideways last night, mm. uh, or almost going sideways. I was a bit like, what did they think was going to happen? Like, they put all of their eggs in this Elizabeth's workshop basket, and then it's sort of like, yeah, so Bristow is just going to refund her and kind of invalidate it because her parents wanted to pull her out. And I was like, well, I mean, that's pretty easy. Like, now what? Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, this just sort of happened. And I was like, well, fuck. But also, what did they think? Like, did nobody think that this might be an avenue he would try? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they knew it was going to happen, surely, right? Of course he would just be like, hey, there's stuff. Like, I mean, he doesn't even need to be so obvious about it. He can just kind of make sure that they find out about it. It wouldn't be that difficult. Hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, the situation is continuing to worsen. The resistance base has now been compromised. Yeah, it's just like when they lose the resistance base in in episode five of Star Wars. Sure, I think that also happens in episode seven and eight. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, while we're talking about Star Wars, oh yeah, have, what? We, have we talked about the high ground? The high ground. What is that, <laughs> Elliot? What are you talking about? Uh, that's our do bonus content show where uh, my sister Georgia joins us and we talk about Star Wars. As mm. you can see, we really know what we're talking about in that show. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's real fun. Check it out. But what Light do you self promo in the but, middle of our podcast, Elliot? What if I want some kind of, you know, for this special time of year? What if I want some kind of holiday themed Star Wars content? Do you have anything <laughs> for me there? Yeah, it's actually uh, next week is our uh, Star Wars holiday special uh, high ground episode. So, I mean, watch the holiday special and then and then come listen to that episode. Ah. You will regret it. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, let's get back to finishing off Gone Ahead 7.2. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, again, and this is my vibe at the end of every single chapter in this BHI conflict, it's, I still just feel like there's no idea of what is going to happen. <laughs> like, where is yeah. the, what, genuinely, what is going to happen next? Like, is Bristol going to die? Are they going to just end up bowing to him <laughs> and letting him be uh, headmaster? Like, th- Anything could happen, literally. <laughs> yeah, first of all, I don't know how to fix this. Like, I can't think of what a good win is, but mm. I also have read enough Wild Bow stories to know that I shouldn't necessarily expect a good, clean win. Mm. So even if there was one, like, it, yeah, there's so many ways this could go. 
Um, and I mean, that sort of gets to Lucy. Like I love this chapter sort of ends with like Lucy just sitting down and thinking, man, I have so much to do. I've got like 50 things I could do. So I'm going to sit here and do none of them. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's a depressing, re- mm. depressingly relatable frame of mind. Or is it a nice, relaxing, meditative vibe? Uh, that was not the impression I got. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I got that kind of, like, I mean, you've been there. I, I, I've definitely been there where it's sort of like, you've got so much to do that you're panicking so much that you just kind of don't do any of it. And then we're two hours later, you're like, oh, I've made this much, much worse. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. Hopefully that's not what happens. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> okay. Um, so yeah, that's the end of Gone Ahead 7.2. Next, we dive into Gone Ahead 7.3. We're in Avery's perspective, and Avery and the gang are looking for a place to stay now that their main base of operations has been lost. Yeah, and and this chapter sort of opens up, like, it throws us again, like, in media res. Like, we yes. sort of don't know what they're doing out here. There's a box, and we don't know what's in the box. Yeah. Um, it, it's like, yeah, like, both of the chapters this week really just throw us kind of into the m- middle of whatever operation is happening. Mm. Um which I think is like a cool way of just like as readers keeping us like on the back foot of, of like, cause you know, this is a shit show of a war and, and stuff's going all over the place. And, and you sort of feel that with the way each chapter is kind of disconnected because it, it jumps ahead a few hours from where the last one ended up and just puts us in the middle of whatever the next little bit of guerrilla warfare is. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It's good. It makes it, it, it really helps um, emphasize the, like the messiness of the conflict. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's good phrasing. Um, there, there's a little bit of a, a water scene here. A little bit of a, a splashing around in the water scene, I guess. Um, and I was just surprised that Tash that likes the water. I mean, it makes sense in re- reflection, but I just kind of had her pegged as fire type. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I I didn't quite have her pegged as as fire type, but you're right. I didn't really think anything of her like having to do with water and then she like hopped into the water and i was like oh yeah her mom's a sea monster this makes sense mm. um yeah but uh no i was i was the same like i i was just like oh yeah that makes sense i'm an idiot yeah um, I, I guess we just like again don't ascribe too many labels to these kennet others especially <laughs> others in general but these ones especially yeah yeah true um we also like at, at the start of this i really want to call out how we see that really happy kind of mellow Verona that Lucy was talking about last chapter. Um, like she spends so much of this chapter that we're in, like joking around and having fun. Mm. Like, like, Ver- yeah, Verona, like makes that joke to Avery about the handwriting. Um, there's the bit where like she annoys Avery by constantly calling out her name. Mm. Um, like Verona is just having a ball. And I think there's like even a point where John is like, you know, okay, we can have fun, but you, you gotta still be serious. And then like Verona starts making even more jokes. It's just like this is the concerning part of Verona falling into this world that that you brought up and that Lucy brought up. Like a, there's a time and a place for being this kind of happy and jokey. Mm. Yeah. Is she too yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is she too <laughs> chill in this in these scenes? I think the answer is probably yes, right? Uh y- I would think so. Like, it's good to see. I kind of love it, but at the same time, I'm just like, is this really the time? Mm. Mm. Yeah, probably not. Um, there's a bit where 
uh, Toad Toilet is giving or attempts to give Avery advice on girls. Uh, she wisely <laughs> chooses not to get advice from him, but that's terrible for us as the audience because I really want to know what is the what is the lady advice that Toad Toilet would have given Avery. <laughs> yeah, I would have loved to see it. Um, I, I think it's funny as well because he's sort of like, oh, I'll give advice that will make girls turn their heads, but he he doesn't specify like in a good way. Like, um, wait, what do it, you mean? I'm just saying, if Avery, if Avery hopped on a bus and ripped a mad fart that everyone heard, a ton, a ton of women are going to turn their heads to look her way. Not helpful though in terms of romance. Mm. Yes, true. It's not really what Avery wants, is it? No, I, I mean, I guess that's the thing. I think the kinds of women Toad Swallow would like probably not the sorts of women that Avery is going to like. Um. Yeah, almost certainly that's the case, I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, the other thing, obviously, Toad Sawyer gives Avery some advice on, uh, like, something that comes up uh, is, like, you know, she's using the Guillermet glamour to perk herself up and, and make herself confident. And Toad Sawyer's like, ah, you know, that's fakery bullshit. You got to actually, like, you know, take some punches to get stronger. Mm. Um, And I think... Yeah, I don't know. I thought this was interesting because I was sort of like, I kind of agree with Toad Slow. Like, if she builds up her whole confident persona on the glamour, it's, it's you know, not going to have strong foundations, I would assume. But then, on the other hand, it's like, you know, if if Avery's way of getting confident is going out and, and taking some punches and she keeps failing, like, she, she's, she's not going to get any better either. Um, so, sort of like, I, I don't know. I think like it's like that combo, you know? It's like you use Gilmay's glamour as a bit of medication to, to get yourself started, and then you can reinforce it with, with real life stuff. But mm. yeah, like, you know, it's, it's, I don't think these have to be mutually exclusive, I guess. Mm. True. Yeah, you're right. There's, a, there's an element of like, I don't know, fake it till you make it type of vibe, right? Like, yeah. Avery is doing this thing where she's giving herself check marks. There's nothing wrong with necessarily turning some heads to boost your confidence and then using that to to transition it into a, a relationship or whatever, you know? Yeah, well, just because we've had this Avery Glamour thing sitting over us for a long time now, and I'm, I'm trying to think where it, where it could go. And, like, I, I think that's the positive outcome is, yeah, like, you use it as a kickstart, as a, as a boost, but then, like, you know, if she if every time she does a good thing, she continues to rely on giving herself the Glamour ticks, that is maybe where you're too leaning too much into the Glamour and I'm worried, but if it's, like, if you reach this threshold where you suddenly just actually, you know what, I am confident and I can just be me and 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 take the real world punching side that Toad Sawyer's in, them, maybe that's maybe that's the healthy road. Mm. Yeah, maybe it is. It's fair. Um, so yeah, yes, you we'll should take- have taken Toad Sawyer's advice, Avery. <laughs> that's the that's the real lesson here. Um, so yeah, we we get a bit of the emphasis of the downside of goblins here, which is they're clearly very strong, but big also a big sleepy babies <laughs> they, they what do they sleep like they're they're basically koalas right like yeah they, they have a chance at turning into a drop bear and being really powerful but they also just sleep <laughs> yeah i think it was like uh i think we saw a quote that was like 16 or 18 hours a day yeah some sleep. huge amount of sleep um which yeah like you know that's about what koalas do as well so the it's apt yeah, maybe um, maybe they are just koalas Oh my god, we've got so many cool theories coming up this episode. Um, Canadians just haven't seen koalas. Wild Bo saw a koala at the zoo once, and this is the closest (laughs) thing he can remember to what it looked like. Um, Uh. 
but yeah, I, no, I especially really like this as well because I, I hadn't really made this connection before. But you know, the, the idea that goblins sleep like eighteen hours a day is such a perfect encapsulation of them as like the ugly parts of humanity. Because like, you know, the idea that you know with your free time or whatever, you just get to sit there and like sit in bed for eighteen hours is you know generally seen as like lazy and, and good for nothing, which is mm. like you know part of the goblin niche. Mm. Uh, so I just kind of like that as as uh, you know the metaphor and the the mechanics of this world once again kind of blending together in a neat way. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, they they. It seems like this mission is them finding a place to lay low while also getting Alpi out of here, uh, and maybe even finding the goblins a safe place to lay low. Um, yeah. But as they're on their way, Alpi reveals a fun note that she's kind of seen with her dream stalking. Uh, which is there are definitely weak links at the school. People are having bad dreams from stress because they are not equipped to deal with this situation. <laughs> um, yeah. Although the other thing she mentions is yes. that uh, she can she can do dream hookups for them, where they can mm. give her a name and she'll put two people on the same like dream frequency. Dream and, uh, they can or have whatever. Yeah. Yeah, they can have a chat. Yeah, which, which is, is like cool. we need we need to see that like because it's going to be like there's going to have to be some. Thing to her, right? it's not gonna it's not gonna be two people in a in a white room having a conversation, right? Like it's there's people's subconscious is gonna come screaming into this conversation. Yeah, presumably we will uh, have a weird, strange dream sequence conversation. Yeah, well, I wonder if it even like if you're both in dreams, is it as simple as you just have a conversation, or is it gonna be like your your dreamscapes and your subconsciousness is is, is combine and collide mm, interesting yeah i don't know i love it though because it's i mean we've already seen stuff like alcazar implement stuff where it's yeah taking personality traits and making them literal so i i, I always love that kind of stuff yeah I, I imagine this would be like similar ish yeah um can we touch on the thing where alpi's giving people information based on their dreams i don't know like <laughs> is this a violation of something like i don't know it i mean it's on the line. It's like yeah, using what you it, see it, in it people's is. dreams against them. It's kind of, yeah, there's the word where they describe it as icky, right? Every calls it icky. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, well, and then Lucy calls it icky but necessary, which I think is where I've landed. <laughs> yeah, where I'm which like, is always an interesting line to draw. Yeah, it's sort of like, this is gross, but if we can use it for, yeah, I, I, you're right. It just feels, I don't know. Yeah. I suppose, what else did you bring Alpi there for, you know? Yeah, exactly. I guess it's true. That's what she's here for. Um, so, yeah, uh, Cass and Macaulay are the weak links on the student side. And Ray also gets a mention, interestingly. He's, <laughs> he's like, obviously not chill with it, but it's hard. It's weird. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to get what his vibe is and what he will be interested in doing or what he'll be willing to do as a result. I don't know. It's yeah, yeah. I like. I don't think this tells us anything about Ray because we already knew that he was kind of useless and and not sleeping right. Um, like that started even before all this went down. Um, so I don't think this tells us anything new. It's just reminding us, hey, yeah, uh, Raymond is here and he's, you know, kind of uh, fucking uselessly stirring on morality, uh, uh as ever. Um. So I think it's just, I, I feel like this is just a reminder that, like, yeah, Ray's out there and he's a bit of an idiot. Mm. He might come into it soon. Mm. 
Yeah, we'll see. It's hard to know if Ray's going to play a part or what part Ray will play. Yeah. I mean, the the two the two other like girls that they might want to turn coat, I guess. I assume that is the plan. Mm. Um are interesting cuz like like Cass's dream is pretty straightforward. Like we've already heard how she gets no good opportunities cuz her family's, you know, misogynistic and shit, so they can sort of promise to not treat her as a second-class citizen and she might turn sides. Like that makes sense to me. Mm. Uh, Macaulay's almost more interesting because, like, her dream is, you know, this this like red door, which to me symbolizes like the violence of her family, mm. and she's kind of like trying to get out, and then the door keeps opening wider, and Alexander's there. So, like, I, like I feel like the implication of this is quite obviously she doesn't want to go down the path of her family, mm. and Alexander might be her escape, but like. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's just like it's just another statement on practitioner families. Like, you know, we got Fernanda as our interlude person last at the end of last arc. It's sort of like you know these people get forced into being a member of their family, whether they want to or not. Mm, yeah, and Macaulay's maybe someone who doesn't want to be defined by violence. Like we saw her her sister uh, last chapter, and like you know when she didn't deliver, she fell face first into whatever the fuck yes. that thing Toadsaw made was. Like, it's yeah. not a good wife. No, it's rough. Um, so I, I get Macaulay not wanting to get amongst that. Yeah, definitely. You, you, I can see why you would <laughs> want to not be a part of that vibe. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, like, I, I can't wait to see where we go with these two. Yeah. Because Cass just makes sense. Like, she's so obviously already shitty at her family for being misogynist whereas Macaulay would be I think more of a get just because the Henniger family seems united but actually you know they're, they're not like I don't know it, it's it's kind of more shocking to explore mm, yeah um, so the gang uh, find a cave and send Alpie off to do her nightly chores before they then take a moment to chat and plan well also they make some time to chat and plan before yes, sending Alpi off, which which very much upsets the Alpi, mm. um, which which I thought was hilarious because just like, Alpi being like so drop, make them stop, and and then there's like that boat where she just like falls on the floor and puts her hands on her head. Uh, she's just such a like this idea that Alpi just has this routine and she and the universe just want her to stick to it so strictly. It's just always so hilarious to me. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like her her yeah. everything is an inconvenience vibe. It's just con- consistently hilarious. Yes, true. Um it's it's a fun time. Although it's really Alpi's accent is really strong in this sequence. Right? <laughs> I mean yeah, there's definitely like I I usually have like a Scots dictionary open in another tab mm. uh when she features prominently cuz it can even be hard to tell what's like her accent distorting a word and what is just like Scottish slang. Yes. Um, I, I mean, luckily, it doesn't usually matter too much because whenever there's like something important, one of the other characters will like translate it into English. Uh, but it, like, yeah, it, I don't know. I, I, I find it quite fun, but sometimes it's very much like, the fuck did I just read? Yeah. <laughs> Or I'll wait for it to try and get it from context clues for how the other characters respond, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, there's also a tantalizing line where John mentions that there are major forces keeping an eye on him, which is presumably the judges. That's what uh, yeah. Avery thinks immediately. But yeah, God, it's very fun to obsess over. I mean, it had better be the judges. Like, the last thing we need is more major forces in this story. Um, well, there's already enough the Kennedys have to deal with. Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess we sort of touched on this. Like, I, I, like, I. I've got this read on John as somebody who's, who maybe wants to avoid them, and that's why he's aware of the fact that they're they're staring at him. Um, mm. But it also makes you think: what are the three judges' opinions on this whole shit show? Yeah, like, do they even think that it's relevant to this scenario? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because I guess the the thing we've had set up right is they're the lords of all the areas that practitioners don't lord over. So, like, maybe it's not their jurisdiction, but then I guess at the same time, the BHI isn't actually the areas these practitioners are based in. It's, like, their little secluded hub. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I, I almost want the judges to show up so that we can get their opinions on, on all this, see how they mm. think it fits into the cosmos. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if they would even have an opinion. You're right. It, it, you're right. It's very interesting to think about what the judges care about i could see their vibe being like these are the fuckwits we're ceding ground to like mm. really mm. you know we lost we lost to these people yeah interesting maybe i wonder yeah i don't know <laughs> who knows um so the gang is interrupted from their chit chat by gunfire uh, a fight has broken out john started shooting at something and so every rushes through the warrens to reach it <laughs> Uh, yeah, great choice of, of locale to dip into. Uh, very fun. Yeah, very casual dipping into another dimension. Like, <laughs> and, and it doesn't even come up. Every doesn't even think, oh, should I go above ground with the rope or should I go through the warrants, etc. Like, she's just like, all right, let's dive into the warrants. Let's do it. And uh, it obviously works out fine-ish, I guess. Um, but it feels strange that she doesn't even think, oh, is it quicker for me to just jump rope there? Like, yeah, I don't know. I think she retroactively mentions that it was to stay out of John's way. Yes. Uh, so she didn't actually get clipped by a bullet, um, yes. which makes sense. That does make Bull sense. Bullets aren't great. Um, <laughs> I mean, what I love is like the Warrens here end up being so much worse because it's like uh, the Kennet Warrens are actually kind of like sanitized, which yes. considering the the whole hollow that they have there, like it, in retrospect makes sense. But um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Warrens are fascinating. It's like this literal sort of underbelly of the world where all the rotten and gross things people don't want to think about end up. That's sort of like how I'm reading it. Um, like, God, you could write whole books about going into the Warrens. Like, it's so cool that there's like, because she sticks to like the top layer, but it's like you can keep going down the tunnels and there's bigger, scarier goblins and like other dark places. Like, it's it's so rich and it's a place we've spent literally 20 paragraphs in. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I love these dimensions. I, every time we go into one of these parallel dimensions, they're just so fun, right? Yeah. 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 Oh, boy. I'd love to have a couple of chapters exploring the Warrens. I don't think there's going to be a need for that, but like you could see how like fun and easy that would be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. Uh, Avery uh, arrives and. Uh, she's right in the midst of things. Uh, this person they're attacking is kind of like a ghost with a plastic bag over his head and a very strange 
kind of fight kicks off. It feels kind of video gamey. Basically, mm, mm. a race to find well a red bird or just something out of place. Basically, yeah. Each round has some sort of target to go either forwards or backwards. Yes. Uh, it takes a while to figure out. Like it's a, it's a wild fight to read the first time because you just have no idea what the fuck's going on, or at least yes. I um, it was really only the second time that it really all clicked into place. Uh, as a quick aside, I love this synergy that comes up between Lucy and Avery. Because mm. like Lucy's like, oh yeah, yeah, run off and, and be the scout. And if you like whisper what you're seeing, I'll hear it. And I was like, that's some real fucking good. Like that's a cool move. Mm. Uh, I hope we get to see a lot of that because like Avery can now go and do whatever the fuck and kind of stay in touch with Lucy, like radio back what she's seeing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. The earring really opens up some interesting possibilities for the group, doesn't it? Yeah, and like, like we saw how useful it was in the last chapter. Um, like it, you know, like Lucy overheard so much of what the other practitioners were saying as they're doing. Like it's just it's fucking useful. Mm. Definitely yeah. need to get some implements for the rest of the gang. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it, it's a weird fight. It's like this ticking clock that happens in this fight. Um. And yeah, you're right. You don't really understand what's going on at the start, but it's it's like you're being ch- you're chucked into a puzzle box that is shaking around, and the walls are closing in, and you have to solve <laughs> it before it literally kills you. Yeah, I mean the the puzzle box aspect of it becomes more and more literal as this thing starts shaking down the uh, the size of the arena. Mm. Um, but at first, you just I, I was just confused for most of this my first time through. And honestly, even my second time, I don't think I've a hundred percent got all of it, but um, yeah, I really like that Avery opens this by trying to talk to it. Like she doesn't, you know, if it was me and I came out of the Warrens and there's like some ghosty techno mancer thing with a plastic bag on its head that looks scary. I'd mm. probably shoot first and ask questions later. I'm not that good enough of a person. Whereas Avery's like, Hey, can we be cool? And this thing sort of says no. And she's like, okay, then. Okay, I guess we got to fight. Yeah, no, for <laughs> sure. Um, it's interesting. It's You're right. It's great. It's a very Avery thing to do, to be like, uh, do we definitely have to fight before? Bef- you know, let, let's make sure that there's no peaceful way to resolve this. And she even asks, do you mean us harm? And the guy, like, nods. Like, oh, okay, this yeah, is a fight yeah. then. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, good times. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, Obviously, like this fight, you know, goes on for a while. Avery sort of figures it out, and it turns into a race, which is very much her element. Yeah. Um, but uh, she comes pretty close to dying. It doesn't actually look like she was going to win when uh, the other two come and save her. Mm. Uh, yes. And I mean, it's lunchtime by the time she comes out, so like we don't. It sounds like she was in there for for a while. Um, bit of yeah. a reminder for us uh, and the Kenneteers that um, this shit can get pretty serious. Like. Avery maybe almost died here. Yeah, it's just as Avery is starting to figure it out, you get the distinct vibe that her train of thought is becoming less and less coherent, right? Like, the fight feels like it gets a lot more abstract from the narration and from the description as it reaches the end. And it feels to me like Avery is, like, slipping, you know? Like, even as she is figuring it out and trying to fight back, she is slipping into basically losing the plot really right yeah doesn't this thing like suck the oxygen out of of the area it's in so it's kind of like just you know she's not being able she's not able to breathe as easily i guess well definitely at times it does um yeah 
Yeah. Okay. I mean, like in general, do you do you have any theories as to what this bag face is like from a kind of other? I, I know we're trying to like move away from just broadly classifying others, mm. but like, what but is this? Let's thing? give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. Have you got any thoughts? What do you think? I mean, I, I make connections to like climate change mm. or modernization. Like, you know, it literally starts to make the world smaller. Mm. Um, it, it was doing some technomancery stuff that, that gets brought up in the story, but it's like, you know, the plastic bag vibe, the way it sort of rips oxygen. I was like, I don't know, is this some sort of is this some sort of manifestation of climate change? <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. I got some loose connection to maybe climate change and modernization. I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense to me. The plastic bag and the, the like, constricting vibe of it, I think, works. Maybe even just, like, drowning or suffocation in general. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I, I think it... We don't know enough to say definitively, but I, I, I like the idea. Yeah, we need to find out who sent it, because then we can sort of see what school of practice they're in, and that would yes. probably help. Yes, definitely. Um yeah, so uh, Lucy and Avery arrive just in time to save her from from sorry, Lucy and Verona arrive just in time to save Avery from Mister Bagface, and then they head back to the school to recuperate. Yeah, and uh, they use one of the items they confiscated from Bree slash Zed and like half the story ago uh, to do it. So uh, that's a good bit of payback, you know. Uh, that's the lesson here: always steal shit from people you captured and keep it because you'll be able to use it later. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's a great moral. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, they, they head back to school. I was actually a little confused at first by this with the fact that they were like sneaking around and clearly trying to not get caught before, but now they're just like going back to school and hanging out. Um, but I guess the it's because they explicitly had others with them that they had snuck in. So that's probably what they were trying to do. Um, and now they don't. Well, I also think at, at night, yeah, that was like when Bristow was going to be like imposing stuff on them. Whereas now it's like the school day and they can just like, yeah, like they, you know, the school has to still operate. Like that's sort of the one big weakness Bristow has is he does have to keep the school operating to some degree. Mm. Um, So yeah, I think it was just like at nighttime, there was more freedom for the other students to hassle them and, and impose bullshit on them. Whereas they can't really do that today. Mm. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like the big moment for me is like you know when they they openly bring Tash and John in with them, like they'd sort of I I don't know I'd kind of got the impression they were sort of keeping the fact that they just brought these others in like on the DL, but it's like mm. you know yeah like they just sort of walk in hand in hand with them, and again, uh, Lucy takes John's hand, future familiars. Uh, mm -hmm. Tash takes Verona's hand, future familiars. Avery's holding Snowdrop. I can Future go either familiars? way on that one. Yeah, yeah, you can see it. Um, um I, I mean, yeah, I, I think I made a joke in my library too. To jump back to Tashlet a bit, I made a joke in my library that was like, uh, Tashlet is Verona's new BFF now. Like, sorry, Lucy. Um, <laughs> yeah. And honestly, like, that started as a joke, but the more this goes on, the more I'm like, actually, though, like, I hope Verona takes Tashlet as a familiar. They seem like a great fit for each other. Probably yeah. too early to, to commit to something like that, but it seems like it's promising. Yeah. Um yeah, definitely. I, I yeah, I think so. Um so yeah, uh, they they get back to their room and they are trying to plan what they should do next, but they get interrupted by Nicolette who wants to have a powwow. <laughs> um yeah, and and I mean obviously like Verona and Lucy are really leading this this chat that gets interrupted because I feel like Avery's just 
freaking out. Like she's kind of proving Dr. Mona exactly right. Like Dr. Mona was like to Lucy, hey, you should check. Avery maybe isn't okay and she's just not telling you. Uh, mm. you know, she has a history of being closed off. You should go ask her if she's okay. And then we jump into Avery's head next chapter. And uh after that whole thing, Avery's basically having a meltdown. Yeah. Uh, again. And yeah. she's like, Oh, I can't let the others know. I don't want to come across as whiny. <laughs> yeah, like, God, oh God, Avery. Lucy, please ask. Yeah, please, please broach that topic with her. You know, build that bridge. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so so it's the six of them in this room, right? We've got three Kenneteers. Yes. The the fourth Kenneteer that's Snowdrop and then Tashlet and and John. Yeah. And I'm now committing to the idea. All three of them, they'll do the familiar bond and the sequel to Pale will actually just be the six of them living in a house. It's like a sitcom. It's full house. It's full house, but half the yeah. creatures are monsters. Half the characters are monsters. <laughs> yeah, no. I... You got like wacky cousin Tashlet uh, with Verona who gets caught up in her bullshit. You got John and 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 Lucy kind of trying to keep everything under control, mm. and a- Avery. I don't know. Just keeps bringing idiots into the house, or is trying to wrangle Snowdrop, the rowdy child, mm. coming mm. soon to CBS. Yep. yep. Disney Plus announced it a few days ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I So they're obviously, all six of them are here planning, and I'm just kind of, like, worried. I'm nervous. Like, again, <laughs> I don't know where this is going because it's like, I don't feel like they really have a plan. I don't feel like they even really have any strong ideas that could be put together to make a plan. Like, the closest thing they have is Verona thinking about how she can get Bristow's thanks and, and transfer it to the brownies and then the brownies will attack Bristow. And that's like, okay, like it's a seed of an idea, but it's not enough to build a plan around, right? No, and I'd also question if it is a good idea. Like, I think Miss was like, be careful using this with the practice. Um, like, sure, it would be easy for Bristow to prove he didn't give his regards to the brownies and Verona did and then like have it bounce back. Mm. Like, I would... I would want to be very sure before trying this plan. I feel like there's ways it could go, we could like bounce back and be very bad. Mm. Um, and yeah, but yeah, you're right. Overall, I'm just kind of like, they're full out of ideas. Basically their idea up until now was we could hold out in Elizabeth's workshop and come up with a plan. And now that's gone. Uh, and so they're just here and it's like, hopefully Nicolette has the answers. Cause I don't think they do. Mm. Yeah. Uh, they need, something they i don't think they have enough yeah i don't know they need nicolette to be like here's what you should do (laughs) (laughs) yeah well they need they need more like allies who are good yes like yeah like that's that's their problem they they talk about wanting to get jess just so they can have a senior student yeah jess was like the least senior student of the senior students yeah and clearly not the kind of person that would make a great ally when compared to like nicolette or zed if they were really on side yeah exactly um yeah, but a good cliffhanger. Nicolette coming in and being like, let's talk. I Ooh. mean, who knows what that is? <laughs> yeah, this is, it, yeah, it is, it's a very good cliffhanger. I was yeah. so, I was like, you can't end it there. That's cruel. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see uh, next week. Somehow it's even more exciting after the sort of cliffhanger we get in this comic that we're about to cover as well. It's like these two cliffhangers sort of feed into each other for me. And I'm just like, oh God, we need 7.4 so bad. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, um, we'll have to see. <laughs> Let's find out. Uh, but we're not going to seven point four now. Now we're going to the bonus material, the extra material for seven point three, which was the Borrowed Eyes comic. Um, so the comic starts, and immediately we know that we're in Alexander's head, and he's talking with Y. And it, it, 
we don't really know exactly what's going on immediately. Um, they're just kind of hanging out, chit-chatting. Looks like they're just talking about the odd jobs that Y is doing. I, I kind of got the impression Y, or Alexander has had Y come and pick him up mm. to take him to Bristow's place, like on the way to this parasite god thing that, uh, or god parasite thing that uh, Y has to do. Yes, uh, but I, I got that impression too, but that was on my second read-through. I definitely didn't. It's I a bit felt confusing intentionally. immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because they mention a parasite god, I mean, like at the very start. And I'm like, oh shit, is this like before the BHI started? Because obviously that was, you know, how it started. Um, but no, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's proven incorrect almost immediately. So the parasite god is just kind of back or still around. No, this is, this is the other thing. The parasite god came up in 4.1 mm. as like, because, Remember, Avery had her friend who was the the finder. Uh, he took her to Zoom Town, and it was right. like his dad, his dad or something. Yes, or it was through them. Like they they were fighting because par- I remember because there was that whole thing where he was like, "It's not a parasite god; it's a god parasite." Wait, but wasn't the parasite god also the thing that they turned into the BHI? Or am I getting different things mixed up? No, I think that was just a different god. I, it oh, was a okay. god. I don't, I don't okay. think it was the parasite god. Okay, so I was just getting some stuff mixed up. Okay, cool. Um, but, like, yeah, no, but I remember this moment from 4.1. I went and looked it up, and it's like, you know, uh, Ed in that was like, it's not a parasite god, it's a god parasite. And I thought that was funny, because in this comic, Y calls it a parasite god. Mm-hmm. So he, like, <laughs> is clearly only half invested in whatever he's helping Ed with, because he, he's not even getting the terminology right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but <laughs> just I, doesn't give a shit about it. Yeah, well, yeah, really, really emotionally invested in helping Edward. Clearly, um, but I, I, I think you're right. I think there's something to the fact that like Y, who is our you know first in line to succeeding Alexander, is the the first job we're seeing him do is something that is about a god. Like it, it's similar to the origins of the BHI. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if that's going so. Like my vibe of Y throughout this chapter is he's like Alexander, but not quite as shitty. Mm. Um, so I'd be happy to see him succeed and take the throne. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. The, the possibilities, the question of who is going to be in charge of the BHI is such an interesting one. I, I kind of want to hear a bunch of out there theories like, you know, we'll spoilers, but we'll get to Alexander meets Clem in this chapter. Clem? Great pick yep. for charge of BHI. Got a predict a panel <laughs> predictor that's coming up with another great pick. Like I think this is just a very fun question to think about. Who's actually going to be in charge of the BHI when this all when this all ends up? Yeah, I mean that's why it's our new category in the pale predictor. I know because yeah. it is a very interesting question. Exactly, it's so good. Um, anywho, uh, <sighs> um, oh here's something. Uh, Alexander speaks about Nicolette and it uses the past tense, which Y calls out. I mean, he kind of, I guess, walks it back a little bit, but still worrying. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, oh, yeah, I, I, it's not even worth speculating on anything Nicolette related until we read the next chapter. I don't think. Um, mm. Yeah, true. I, I I love the bit later on though. There's that part where uh, where we're talking about Bristow's seed. Um, mm-hmm. It'll come up. Yep, great. Because classic uh, Alexander, part. Yeah. When Alexander's like, oh, don't worry, I didn't use Nicolette to get this. Oh, fuck. And it's yeah. just like, 
the fact that you had to specify that yeah, though it's creepy. like the fact that that was an option that people would consider you might do yeah. don't don't you need to reflect on that alexander yeah majorly creepy <laughs> um yeah i guess before we get further into well actually no like so there's also the argument they have was over seth this is where i came out of this chapter or bonus content with um that idea that like oh why isn't the worst because he's mm -hmm. actually seemingly a little bit upset about his cousin uh getting forsworn mm. and alexander's response is bold of you to assume that i cared about seth like you idiot you should have checked the the cards or whatever like he's mm. like he, he like scolds why for assuming he cared about his own nephew like uh, if i may play the my role on this podcast, which is the defender of Alexander. <clears throat> no, I expected as much. Yeah. Uh, the question that he raises is, if you cared so much, how come you did nothing to help him ever? <laughs> and I think that's a very interesting question. I mean, yes, but then also why does make the argument that he assumed the head of the family who had taken responsibility for him might also try something? Hmm. Hmm. Um. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. Well, I, I, you know, not saying why could have done more. I'm just saying the fact that Alexander's argument is you should have known that I was going to do nothing is such a word of <laughs> shit. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's um, a good one. But yeah, uh, yeah. So I guess before we go further in this, I just mm. want to also call out like I love the art in this comic. Like mm. it's really cool. It reminded me a bit. Like I obviously haven't read many comics, but we read like some Sandman back yes. in pilot season. Yes, And it had very similar segments where it would just be like the Sandman kind of monologuing or explaining stuff about the world. And so it would just be like, not speech text, but uh, like text. And then you'd have all these images surrounding it in much yeah. the same vibe as this. A much more naturalistic uh, interplay of text and um, image, right? Rather than just having yeah. images and then text bubbles drawn on top. Yeah, exactly. It, it was just like long explanations with like art sort of scattered amongst them yeah and um yeah like, I, I thought it was really well done this i i i'm trying to avoid just pulling out every good example because there's a bunch of them but um i mean the way we sort of zoom in on alexander's eye as he starts to pull it out is a harrowing mm -hmm. way to introduce us to the comic creepy um love it I, I love the bit where they're arguing about seth and we just have like a little image of seth uh like a little photo sort of stuck to the page like just a little reminder that seth is a person yeah this is um, this is what seth looked like <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. um and i love the way the comic sort of starts to turn red as alexander reaches his crescendo of, of turning clem mm. um yeah yeah so yeah just good stuff yeah really impressed with the visuals of this uh extra material yeah definitely um yeah, it's a fun one, isn't it? Um, so yeah, Alexander is is his plan here is to prepare a ritual that then will allow him to use Bristow's sight, see through Bristow's eyes, right? Um, which I assumed when I first read it meant that he would be seeing what Bristow's seeing, but it's no, it's explicitly using his capital S sight to see in the way that Bristow sees, um, which is fun. Uh, and yeah, this ritual involves some interesting components, to say the least. Uh, yeah, I love the the blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, uh, like comment here. The, yeah, <laughs> the way Alexander justifies needing uh seed and not sweat by like yeah. just absolutely wrecking Bristow. It, yeah, <laughs> yeah, crazy. Oh, good times. Um, 
So, yeah, this kind of gives us maybe an explanation for why it seems like Alexander hasn't done much in this conflict. And it's an interesting thought. I, I kind of am, I, I realized I should have seen it earlier, which is Alexander's not in any rush, right? Like he is confident that he is going to resolve this, you know, this situation fairly strongly. He is confident that he is going to win this situation in the long term. And so he doesn't feel like he needs to be taking immediate quick reactions because he's just, he's a confident kind of guy, right? Yeah, I can't believe you slash the people who just assumed Alexander had something up his sleeve might actually have been correct from the looks of it. Mm. Um, it, it seems like actually he is going to come back in soon and just solve the problem. Yep. Um, or at least make a big dent against Bristow. I think what'll be interesting though, and wait, wait, the whole, the whole thing here is like, you're right. He doesn't seem to be in a rush. He has his plan and <clears throat> he can go and do it. There's just no consideration for all the people who are getting screwed and hurt in the meantime though. Yeah. And I feel like that'll be the argument. Like if he does come back and just sort of take, take back the, um, I, I was actually just about to say presidency, but I mean, headmastership, <laughs> um, if if he does come back and take it, then it's going to be like, surely the Kettleteers are going to go up and be like, well, what the fuck are you doing for all those of us who fucking bled for you while you were yeah. off doing your shit? He's like, going to pull the old, you know, the, the they're about to lose the war and then Alexander rides over the hill to the east with the fucking riders yeah. of Rohan or whatever. <laughs> like... And he's going to be like, you're welcome. And yeah, the, I saved the, the day, everybody. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, there'll be a bunch of people who'll be like, oh, thank God, Alexander came and saved us. Yeah. And the Kennedy's just going to stand up and be like, the fuck, man? Yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> we were here the whole time. What are you doing? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. A bunch of people got hurt. Like, you know, you're claiming to be the headmaster of this school, but you, you know, fucking did nothing to help us. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um, I, I think there's also a very important moment here where, um, Alexander, so he makes a pledge to the spirits that by the end of the summer, uh, this will be over. Uh, you know, either Bristow's going to be dead or worse, or they can have him. Yeah. But and, uh, so can we touch on his pledge for a bit? Because his pledge didn't seem to me like him saying, I will kill Bristow. He's saying this is going to be over because I think Bristow will die by the end of the summer. I see a doom in his future. Did you get that vibe yeah. or am I... No, I think you're right. You're right. He didn't. He didn't promise that he would necessarily be the one to end Bristow. He's just yes. like, uh, you know, obviously he's trying, but um, yeah, he he didn't commit to being the one to to fell him himself. Yeah, and I, I don't know. It just kind of gave me the vibe that Alexander sees some other demise in Bristow's future. I mean, maybe what what jumped out to me with this is he set a deadline for the end of the summer, and we mm. obviously have another uh conflict yes. that's going to have a deadline of the end of the summer um it, wait what this made me realize is i had been sitting here kind of working off the assumption like oh, okay you know arc seven or eight we'll finish off the blue heron conflict and then we'll go back yeah. to kennet and we'll yeah. deal with the with the karma beast and like i saw the other something here and i was like there's what no reason the that same these, thing yeah yeah <laughs> there's no reason these two conflicts have to stay separate is there this is just gonna like I'm now convinced of exactly the opposite. I think the Carmine shit is going to get fucking dragged right into all this school bullshit. It's all going to become one clusterfuck. Yeah, I am expecting the same now. I, I <laughs> like, I just I suspect this hadn't occurred to me until now. Like, yeah, I just assumed they were separate and we're going to stay that way until now. And I'm like, why have I been assuming that? 
Yeah, what, exactly. They, they seem a lot more linked than we might have thought. And I'm excited to see that resolve in a very uh, exciting way, which I expect it will. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, so Alexander gets Bristow's site and he's at the uh, apartment block and starts talking to a lady named Janine, who is one of Bristow's residents before they interrupted by Clem. My my joy at seeing Clem again and having Sesh proved right like less than a week after she said that <laughs> we'd see Clem again. Yeah. Um was only matched by my disappointment at the people in Clem's lives. Like Janine is like, Oh, Alexander, are you single? And I was like, No, don't <laughs> like what? Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. I mean, yeah, like classic, you know, old lady trying to help misunderstanding stuff. But I was just like, Clem, you really need better people in your life. Like yep. the best person in your life is setting you up with alexander like yeah that's right get out of there um clearly that's rough but uh yeah so he gets bristow's site and uh it's a whole lot Mm -hmm. uh bristow's site is as about as dehumanizing as you could possibly imagine yep he uh literally fades out the person and he just gets an info dump on how valuable they are you know traits that he might be able to use uh their score how bound they are Mm -hmm. it's it's fucking gross. Yep, their ranking of how much he cares about them. Yep. Yeah, it's it's very dehumanizing. Well, and because like even like all of the text about them, like we get this huge amount of text from Miss Preston, which you can like zoom in on and read. Mm-hmm. And it's like you know, it's all focused on like why she's special, like why she's aware, how aware she is, and then it's like what assets she has. Like she has these children, but they're not entitled to her inheritance. In fact, she's left her inheritance to Clem. Is an implication which i thought was very fun um but it's like even like even when you strip the person and reduce them down to a couple of paragraphs it's only paragraphs on like how they can be useful what assets they can provide like it's just the worst yep um we see (laughs) one of the things that we see on clem is how much money she has in her bank account i think which is (laughs) one grand yeah yeah like it's yeah it's so gross um but, like, also, on the other hand, like, if we can look at Alexander's half of this for a bit, mm. like, if you had told me, oh, somebody in this story, like, has the ability to borrow somebody else's sight and see the world as they do, mm. I would like, oh, this would be a tool for empathy and understanding. <laughs> and it's like, you fool. no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alexander's like, hmm, I'm going to take, you know, the ability to empathize with you and use it to shoot you in the ass. Like, it's mm. it's so... Yeah, like fuck, I hate both of these guys, like Bristol and Alexander. Like Alexander takes this power and just uses it in the worst way you possibly could. Like he in fact, you know what he does? He doesn't use it to see things from Bristow's perspective. He uses it to go down to Bristow's level. That's the problem I have with it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It is it's you, the reason he's doing this is so that he can leverage the information Bristow has to in a way that Bristow would, but just against him. So you're right. He really is sinking to Bristow's level. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but you can't hate him too much. There's a bit where, Ale- <laughs> where Alexander does this thing where he said, he calls Clem Mrs., uh, Mrs. Robert John, which is her surname. And Clem's response is, I don't believe I told you my name. Did? And Alexander responds, she did not. Cutting her off before <laughs> Clem can ask, did, uh, what was did her name? Miss Preston. Exactly. Miss Preston tell you my name and alexander's like no and it's just such casual use of future predicting powers <laughs> i love it it's it's the kind of casual power use that i love in in a arrogant character like alexander 
Yeah, I know. It, yeah, you said it perfectly. It was like, I. the problem is, is sometimes Alexander is just, you love to hate him, and I mm-hmm. hate how much I love to hate him. Yeah. But, you know, Bristow, and the Kennedys talk about it, I think, earlier in 7.3, where they're like, the problem with Bristow is he's very easy to hate, whereas, like, Alexander tricks you into thinking he's not that bad. Mm. And this is a perfect example of that. Um, but, yeah, uh, so we find out Clem is ranked number four uh, out of Bristow's collection uh which is like terrible but also i was like yeah go clem mm. um i i can't help but feel that a huge part of that ranking is not just that clem's a gilded lily but like because she's so awesome like you know she's she's everybody loves clem like in and out of text <laughs> everybody thinks clem's the best and i wonder if like that's where her value comes from like how much she mellows out and stabilizes other people in the apartment building mm. yeah I think so. I think that's her value, right? Um, she, it's you're right. It's surprisingly high, um, and so it's like her gilded lily stuff is cool, sure, but it's not enough to make her that important to Bristow, right? Hmm. Yeah. No, I think I think her real power comes from like being a bit of a, a a glue that holds this place together. Like she, every time we see her, she's interacting with everyone. Yeah, everyone loves her. Even Sharon loves her. Like you know, her her powers of making people like her, her her real power and it's like you could see this place getting a lot less stable with clem out of the picture mm. and uh you know here comes alexander with uh, a few apprentice slots ready mm-hmm. and, and available <laughs> ready and waiting uh, yep uh i i seriously hope that's not where he's going with it but um like that would also be very fun i mean it could be i could see it well we just had clem she got that kind of victory where she'd said no to the world of the practice mm. and uh her actually saying yes to it and being in Camp Alexander would be as tragic as it is kind of hilarious. Mm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would. Ah, good times. Um, and that's the end of uh, that's the end of all the chapters that we are discussing today. Yeah. I, I mean, God, I can't wait for 7.4. Wait, Nicolette's there. Obviously, Alexander's going to be... Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. This is really heating up. I can't. It's so good. Yep. Yep. It's good stuff. Um, we will have to see what happens with the Nicolette conversation with Clem, with all this stuff um, next time. Uh, but before we finish up, let's dive into uh, a Pale Predictor. So obviously people can leave predictions in our Pale Predictor uh, sheet and we pull out the predictions that we want to discuss each week. And of yeah. course, we've pulled out predictions this week. Elliot, what's your, your prediction? Yeah, well, it looks like we've both pulled out predictions that relate to our new category of... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, who is going to end up in charge of the BHI, I think yes. is how it was phrased. Yes. Um, so I've I've put out a prediction from Meiji Hao. Uh sorry, I probably pronounced that wrong. Um, but basically they've sort of said, uh, I think the Kennedyers and their allies will end up with an advantage over both sides, and they're gonna call in the judges to appoint the new headmaster. Mm-hmm. Um so the judges are supposed to have been given the ability to govern the affairs of practitioners in the region uh, i th- i think that's something miss said mm. um and this situation is going to end up very messy and what the blue heron institute needs is what all schools have in real life a third party to monitor its affairs and appoint the leadership uh i think calling the judges in for something like this would also reinforce the role the kennedy is awakened with as agents of justice and a bridge between the practitioners and the others also, Nina the Librarian would be a great candidate for headmistress. <laughs> um, I would love to see Nina, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I really like this as, you know, we've just talked about how these two conflicts might start to merge together. And uh, 
the judges have come up specifically these two like i just i love this as a way to bring our conflicts together bring those themes of uh like others and who has jurisdiction over who that we've talked about in the story like coming together i yeah i re- i really like this idea i think it like i think there's really something to this mm. yeah i i like it too um but uh, uh, yeah no i like it i like it i'm it it speaks to the idea that we've kind of raised a bit more in discussion of this chapter, which is the BHI and uh, Carmine replacement and murder stuff is obviously not necessarily as distinct and separate as we might have thought it was once upon a time. Um, possibly the answer to the two things is the same, right? Uh, or very, very much intertwined. Um, that's why I like yeah, this one. Cause, yeah, because, like, like, you know, when we first got to the Blue Heron Institute, we talked a lot about how it compared to the Kennet other alliance and i think there's still a lot of stuff where we get to compare these two attempts to unite people that are usually in conflict mm. but there's also that whole thing that has sort of been a bit of an undercurrent uh that miss has brought up every now and then which is like you are meant to have these judges over the practitioners and that's not really happening anymore and maybe that's her plan for the kennedys is they may be meant to try and nudge things back in that direction mm. yeah so i don't know i don't know if if uh, if this prediction is going to be like bang on, but I think I think there's something to the idea of bringing the judges in to help like organize things after this conflict. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, I, I'll talk about my prediction as well because we're kind of talking yep. about the same type of thing here. My prediction <laughs> was from I measly impressed, uh, and they basically think. Miss will end up becoming the headmistress or deputy headmistress of the BHI. Um, and I think I, I really love this. I think, yes, it probably breaks a few rules of how Miss functions, explicitly giving her a label. Um, and possibly the world isn't necessarily ready for accepting another in a position of power like this. But just she, personality-wise, she would be the ideal candidate, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and I do think possibly that's where the story is going. It is talking about having an other in a position of power explicitly over practitioners in a, in a uplifting way like the school. I think that's a very interesting idea, and I'm, it's one that I think is, I, I, I hope the story will explore, I guess. Yeah, well, because there was a bit of an idea in the original Seal of Solomon of, like, segregation, right? Like, this is mm. the domain of human, this is yes. the domain of other. Yes. And maybe that's part of the problem, is that they're seen as so distinct from each other. Yeah, they can't help but be at conflict because they are, you know, set yeah. up as as uh, in opposition or at least in in distinction to each other. Yeah, yeah, and so like part of the step of bridging the gap between them is to literally like you know have them like hang out together and having someone in a position of power in the school like totally makes sense. Mm. Um, I think as well there was that line Verona had about uh, how she wants someone who doesn't want the role in a position of power and who doesn't want the role more than Miss. Mm. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I I could see I could see something like this happening. Or like, yeah, I I love the concept behind it of mm. bridging those gaps between others and practitioners. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. Um, so again, if you want to leave your predictions in our pale predictor sheet, the link to do so can be found in the show notes down below. Uh, yes, you can also find in the links to the show notes down below uh, a link to doofmedia.com. Uh, that's where all the other doof shows can be found. There's, uh, well, the high ground we already talked about that's mm-hmm. coming out next week. Yep. Uh, Matt and Scott just released 
their latest episode of Other Levels of the Tower, where they talk about other Stephen King things. Yes, these and are, we should touch on, these are patron bonus shows. Um, so yes, make sure you're a sorry. patron at the $5 a month or up Ten. level, $10 a month or up level, to get access to these bonus shows. Yeah. Um, I've forgotten the name of Matt and Scott's latest episode because it was a work I hadn't heard of, so I apologize oh, to them. But Yeah, it, it, it wasn't Needful Things, was it? That was the previous one. Or was it Needful Things? I think it was neat. That sounds familiar. Okay. Yeah. It was. I. I yeah. Anyway, um, go check worst, that out. Worst plug ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can find all the information on the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Jovenia. While you're looking in our show notes, of course, make sure you also check out the link to our discussion thread where you can leave your answers to our discussion question. We've got a discussion question this week, which is. Oh, yes. Was Alexander justified in forswearing Seth? Let's let's officialize these responses. Let's hash it out. Let's debate it out. Leave your answers, and we'll we'll um, definitively answer the question next time. Yes, uh, I kind of regret not making this our discussion yeah. question last week, but I, I think yeah. it's still relevant. And in fact, there's maybe even more information for people to debate with. So yeah, you know, uh, play. You know, tell us why he wasn't, or play the devil's advocate, and you know, take a position you don't really believe in, surely, and and say why he was. Yeah. Um, leave your answers to that in our discussion then, or just your thoughts on these chapters or the show in general, of course. Um, mm-hmm. And while you're out and about, make sure you drop by patreon.com forward slash Wildbo and give Wildbo some support because, of course, this is his story and he only writes it because he's able to be supported by his loving audience members. So become one of those audience members. We got a whole extra comic issue this week. Like, I know. Throw them in some, some money for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and with that, we'll see you next time. Bye.